0: Hello and welcome to Unpacking the Case, a podcast by David Jones-Bold. Today, once more, we are joined by Richard Snape, DJB's Head of Legal Training. Hello Richard, how are you doing?
1: Hello Hannah, I haven't seen you for a while. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes it has been now uh, some time um but we are back again with another newsflash episode this is definitely turning out to be a busy month for real estate law um because we've had another key judgment come through on the tfs stores and designer retail outlet centers um which was handed down by the court of appeal on the 14th of may um now firstly could you tell me something about the background on the 54 act warning notices of which uh, this this matter relates to
1: Yeah, I mean, the background is, well, I'm sort of going back in history. The original 1954 Landlord and Tenant Act didn't have any ability to to exclude it. It was actually introduced in 1969 by the Law of Property Act of that year. Uh, And some of the people listening in may remember the old form of exclusion where you had to trip off to the court, uh, often something you did early on in your career. Uh, for a rubber stamping exercise, the court would sanction the exclusion and uh, you'd be paying towards the end, it was £130. Um, the government decided back in the, well, it was back in the late 1990s, it was first discussed to be changed. Uh, but they decided to change it all and ostensibly make it easier to exclude and also cheaper um, and uh, introduced the Regulatory Reform Business Tenancies England and Wales Regulation, uh, Order sorry, of 2003. Uh, which got rid of the exclusion uh, through court order and introduced those warning notices. I actually remember back in 2000, I came in in June 2004, but I actually remember talking about it in the early days of this being my main job. Uh, And at the time, I thought to myself, there are so many issues and problems in relation to those uh, notices being very ill thought out. Uh, Not least of which, uh, what uh, you're supposed to put in the term commencement date, which you don't know until the bitter end. I'm amazed it's taken so long to actually be litigated. There was one court of appeal case on simple declarations and statutory declarations in 2008, but I would have imagined by now those exclusion notices would have a whole body of case law, and that's not the case. TFS Stores is uh, probably the most important case so far. It would have been disastrous for landlords if it had gone the other way.
0: Okay, so could you tell me a little bit more about the case and um, the first instance decision?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you the background facts. Um, TFS Stores is the fragrance shop. Never heard of them before. Uh, They um, basically sell perfumes and the likes. And uh, they've got about 200 stores up and down the country. This involved half a dozen stores, all different landlords, but all under the sort of domain of Designer Retail Outlet Centre, centres who are a sort of uh, organisation company that's owned by a big investment body, and own these sort of shopping outlets up and down the place. Uh, there were the half a dozen of them were in, uh, well, it was in Bridge End in South Wales, and um, York, Chester, Cheshire Oaks, which is just north of Chester. Uh, Ashford and Kent, Swindon, and Mansfield. Three of these uh, leases, they all purportedly were excluded from the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act. Three of them had agreements for leases, uh, and uh, the other three went straight to the grant of the lease. And um, at a later stage, uh, what seems to have irked TFS is that uh, the landlords wanted to terminate their leases, which obviously if it's a 54 Act excluded, you just terminate contractually at the end of the fixed term and that's it. Whereas if they're 54 Act protected, you'd have to go down the route of a section 25 notice and showing grounds of opposition and likes. They seem to be particularly irked because the landlord then wanted to grant leases to an organisation I'd never heard of before called the Perfume Shop, uh, who are selling similar products and I've got a similar name, I can understand why they'd be a bit annoyed about this, you'd be losing all your goodwill uh, in relation to those premises. And so they were basically looking, fighting tooth and nail for some way of arguing that uh, the leases weren't excluded from the 54 Act. There were two issues that the High Court, the High Court actually heard it the case in 2019, Um, But uh, there in the summer of 2019, but there were a couple of issues that were discussed in the High Court, which weren't taken further in the Court of Appeal. Uh, Firstly, um, who do you serve the notices on, uh, the warning notices? Can you serve on the uh, tenant's solicitor as agent? And the High Court said that uh, you can, it's probably not necessarily good practice unless you've seen some degree of agency, but you can, because the agency stretches as far as not just uh, negotiating and drafting the lease, but also receiving notices on behalf of your client. So that uh, part of it failed. Something which was left a bit unsaid actually is that who gets to sign the declarations? The retail director of uh, TFS, not a director in the company sense, uh, signed the declarations. The high court decided that that was uh, sufficiently senior within the organization but they didn't deal with you know where do you draw the line who wouldn't be sufficiently senior and um, personally i'd be happier if i saw some especially big organizations you know, something if it's a director, it should be okay but something to the effect that this person has the authority to sign but they failed on that ground as well i'll say there's a lot left unsaid with that the third one, which uh, any lawyer who's ever dealt with this, was know as an issue. is obviously a mistake in the legislation. The courts are trying to sort of justify what did Parliament mean. Parliament meant nothing whatsoever because it was an order, as a statutory instrument. If it wasn't particularly uh, well thought out, um, but uh, they decided. Well, they wanted to argue that uh, you'd have to put a term commencement date in, as uh, people know. The warning notices have got you know put the term commencement date in. Uh, And it's something that you don't know until the bitter end. And it might actually change at the last moment, in which case presumably you'd have to go through the process all over again. So over the years, people have uh, taken to put in things like the date of the lease or the date to be agreed or uh, the date the tenancy is granted. And uh, the High Court said that that was sufficient because the term commencement date doesn't have to be a specific date, it's just the way uh, of identifying the lease. Uh, so that was the High Court decision in June or July, I forget which, of 2019. Uh, they decided to appeal it, to the Court of Appeal.
0: And why did it take so long to go to the Court of Appeal? Uh,
1: basically because of COVID. Again, people may appreciate, and something that will been mentioned in courses, that between uh, the start of the lockdowns, March the 27th last year and September the 20th last year, um, there was a stay on any possession proceedings, both commercial and residential within the, uh, within the court service. And there's still a big, big backlog that they're working through. Uh, there was a case on whether this amounted to possession proceedings, something called TFS stores in BMG, which was from the, the summer of last year. And they decided it did amount to possession proceedings uh, and therefore they couldn't be heard until you know, starting in September, hence it's taken two years almost. For the Court of Appeal decision,
0: and what was the Court of Appeal decision?
1: Yeah, well, basically the Court of Appeal—it's um, not a huge dis- uh, judgment, actually. It's uh, main main uh, judgment is from Lord uh, Justice Males, and I uh, say so they didn't deal with the agency points and who gets to sign the declarations. Unfortunately, that wasn't discussed at all. But the term commencement date was. Um, there were three different versions that had been used. You know, not a specific date. The first, uh, the three leases where there was an agreement for lease. If there's an agreement for lease, you have to serve the notices before the tenant commits themselves to the agreement for lease. And uh, the agreement for lease, the, the notices stated that uh, the date, uh, that uh, the term commencement date would be the date of access, the date you're allowing them to access in the premises um it was on a couple of occasions it was a year or well over a year before the actual lease was was granted and executed um but then they were backdated to uh, the date of access uh, under the agreement for lease and uh, the court of appeal decided that would be sufficient uh, there was an issue in relation to, to statutory declarations because again people will appreciate that if you've got uh a run-in period of at least 14 days you sign a simple declaration or you can sign a simple declaration if it's less than 14 days you need a stat deck and as tends to be the case they use stat decks even though there was well far less than 14 days uh run-in period there's been a case uh, called that wasn't really discussed too much because there's been a court of appeal case from 2008 but uh Chilton Railways and Patel which said you can always use a a stat deck because it's meant to have a greater degree of sort of security for the tenants. I've never understood that argument because you don't give advice under a stat deck, so I've never understood that. It's something that was introduced at the last moment into the, the reform order. Um, but that's what the Court of Appeal said about that point. The other three leases had you know, the date of the tenancy was granted or to be agreed, and the Court of Appeal, to cut a long story short basically agreed with the High Court that uh, they were just there. All those words were just there to identify the lease. You didn't need a specific date. They also discussed the pre-warning um, notices uh, case uh, from the days of court orders called Metropolitan Police Receivers and Palace Gate Properties from 2001, which was basically you know, a similar kind of issue. In the past, you had to you know, lay the lease in front of the court. And uh, what happens if you didn't have a, a date when the court sanctioned the um, the contracting out um, and the court deciding those terms, you can't change the terms fundamentally, but uh, you can sort of do the last bits if you like. And that would include, including the term commencement date after the contracting out of the court. And they pointed out that this was designed to stop um, too much red tape in these things, and if uh, it was otherwise than that, then there would be too much red tape. So it's good news for landlords. You don't need to tell people that the vast majority of contracted out leases wouldn't have been contracted out if uh, if it had gone the other way.
0: Okay, and are there any outstanding issues?
1: Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't proceed in the Court of Appeal with the discussion about who do you serve the notices on? I'd be a bit safer if we had an appeal court decision. High court is a precedent, but you know who knows what the future may hold. Uh, and uh, also uh, dealing with who gets to sign the declaration. Um, there is one other thing, actually, it wasn't really uh, germane to the to the case, but um, just as an illustration of how ill thought out the warning notices were, I say I was discussing some of these things back in you know, two thousand and three, before it ever became law. People were asking these questions and raising these questions. Uh, the other one is. Uh, it was never i'm pretty sure intended but uh, you also people are serving as you appreciate notices on guarantors because if a guarantor has to take on uh, the lease in the event of a disclaimer then the argument goes that uh, that's an agreement for lease and uh, you uh, want the guarantors to take on an excluded lease then therefore you serve the notices on the guarantors i remember that one so sort they of, say it wasn't relevant too much to the TFS case, but uh, I remember a, a barrister doing the rounds, uh, and that was their argument, you know, in London and the likes, back in probably a year after the, all the provisions changed, and uh, it can't be wrong, I've never been sure if it's right, but it can't be wrong, so people obviously are doing that as well. But I think we do need a bit of a statutory overhaul of the warning notices, quite honestly.
0: Fabulous. Thank you, Richard. That was really interesting. Thank you again for appearing on um, today's Newsflash episode. And I look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: OK, thanks. Thanks, Hannah.
0: You've been listening to Unpacking the Case, a podcast by David Jones-Bold. Thank you for listening.